Attention, soldiers, you are now entering the war zone. Please keep close to your compatriots and have your weapons at the ready. If you would like to skip the introduction, please fast forward to about seven and a half minutes. And now, poets at war. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Suppose I'm writing a novel. I write, Mary laid down her book, next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who's got to live in the imaginary time of the story, there's no interval between putting down the book and hearing the knock. But I, her creator, between writing the first part of that sentence and the second, may have gone out for an hour's walk and spent the whole hour thinking about Mary. We make things by the law in which we are made. We create because we are created. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, in the darkness bind them. Tolkien and Lewis, both in their way, lifted me out of this world to show me a thundering beauty. And when I read the last sentence and came tumbling back to earth, I could still hear the peal. I hear it to this day. God allowed those stories to lift the veil on the imaginary world to show me the real world behind it, which ended up being, in the end, the one I was already in. The real world, at least in part, isn't out there somewhere, nor is it in my mind. It's here, right under my feet, all around me. Tolkien and Lewis held the fabric of Narnia or Middle-earth in one hand and clutched our world in the other, building a bridge across which we could set out for perilous realms and yet return safely with some of the beauty we found there. My first and last philosophy, that which I believe in with unbroken certainty, I learned in the nursery. I generally learned it from a nurse, that is, from the solemn and star-appointed priestess at once of democracy and tradition. The things I believed most then, the things I believe most now, are the things called fairy tales. We live in a moment that's unlike any other moment, a moment of bizarre tyranny, a moment of overreach. I was nearly torn apart by a crazy doctor. A moment of fear. It's like, and how are we living? How are we standing up in this moment? I was made asleep by a bunch of mangy pirates. Ooh. Are we full of joy? Like, are we characters who are full of joy and unafraid? And eaten. Got that? Eaten by a fire-breathing dragon. And that's a bitch of me. Tossed, squashed, and scared practically to death. It's like, how do we image God in this particular narrative in yeah. which we've been placed in this chapter. And we get trained for that by reading about Sam and Frodo and Aragorn and Gandalf and reading of, you know, Charlotte's Web and Animal Farm and reading about Prince Caspian. Like when you're little, you read those things and you read stories when you're yeah. older and it reinforces what is the courageous action of the character in this moment. Yet you stand before me. Yeah. Think, boy. What kind of an adventure would you have had if I brought you here with a turn of the page? I wept bitterly. And then I said to myself, when everything happens quite miserably, then he sends help. I have always read so. People must first of all suffer a great deal before they can bring anything to accomplishment. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, 
has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. she said or no 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 i didn't she said uh, because the great depression was awesome for cooking anyway it was awesome for cooking yes they became they came up with a bunch of stuff to do with nothing you know yeah so i i'd i'd say that's better i'd say that's better than the opulence of the late 50s and the gelatin oh yeah <laughs> you know and the mayonnaise <laughs> yeah but the 50s are the period where the romanticization of it romantic 
whatever that word is, uh, makes me the most upset because it was not. It was <laughs> Probably not marginally better than what we have now, but only in the way that stage three cancer is better than stage four cancer. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have a few points, but they're not gonna be really helpful. I don't think it's okay to the discussion, but we'll see what happens. Well, as far as 50s go, and I guess the conversation's technically started as far as I'm concerned. Behold. The um the 50s are a really good example of romanticization, however you want to say it. The um I I think that honestly the best parts of um what's it called? The best parts of the 1950s were what made Mid-century it America yeah well it's it, it the best parts were what made that period so romanticized and i think the biggest thing in it would quite frankly be the origins of rock and roll um coming out of the jazz movement i think that there's more in the area of music and the radio and the television and the boom of that that ends up turning into this weird idealization of middle America, leave it to beaver, et cetera, et cetera. I think that um, this happens in a lot of time periods, but I think the 1950s are a really big example of it. Um, Each time period kind of gets idealized for its own reason. As far as I can tell, I can't find a whole lot of universal reasons, but I, I feel like there has to be some universal reasons. And so, like, that's kind of what I'm trying to drive at and pinpoint. But I think you can't separate the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s until disco killed it from pop music. I don't think that you can separate it from popular music. Like, that was okay. what, that's what drove the 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. So and it was still powerful the... in through the 90s, I would say. It was still very powerful through the 90s. But, like, mm. I think it started to die with disco. So so what popular music are you talking about? I'm, t- I'm talking am... about culturally popular music. I'm talking about music that was played so much just everywhere you went that it became... Uh, a a major industry because it was it was an industry before the 1950s but it was not a major industry until the uh transistor radio made it super cheap to have a radio (laughs) and be able to take it wherever but you know your basic batteries and that sort of a thing and then you start getting into physical formats with um records into cassettes into cds and blah 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 but um Mm. I think that the industry, like the money was the thing that fueled the fire, but Woodstock was like the big peak, right? So mm-hmm. we, we because we're so close to it, can separate 50s, 60s, 70s. I think that whole period is mm-hmm. going to get mashed together in another 50 years. And it's going to be looked at as... Mm-hmm. The Beatles, Elvis Presley, it's going to be looked at as um, uh, and it's going to be looked at as like the, the the very tail end of that whole thing will basically be Kurt Cobain, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, 
and then it, then it slides off into weirdness, right? I, I and and I think that twentieth century music will be a thing in two hundred years that is going to be looked at as a major period in music development. Do you think there's going to be a separation between early twentieth century music and late twentieth century music, and have it split at fifties? Oh, oh, because you only... also have before that. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Bing Crosby, and all that type, that big band sound. Only in the same way that the 19th century, early, early and late. Like think think to yourself what late, late 19th century music sounded like versus early 19th century music. I I can distinguish a difference, but it's mm-hmm. almost just two difference. Like it's it, it it's I can un- understand the difference between the two, but. Mm-hmm. And, and and kind of pinpoint what they were, but like I I can't tell you where it's where the big changes in the movement were, you know? What mm. I, you see what I'm saying? Like, because that was all yeah. sheet music. It, it was a whole other thing, right? And it could just be that, I, as you said, we're too close to the situation to be able to actually understand that they're not truly terribly distinguishable. Um, but it seems like there's a big difference between. Uh, Frank Sinatra singing I get no kick from champagne right. and uh, the Beatles singing she loves me yeah yeah oh, huge yeah. huge revolution and Giant. most um, most most of big that difference right and it all happens right there in in like the 50 50 60s era it's pretty it's a pretty big shift Yo, it's huge it's huge and that's why I'm pointing to the 50s the 50s changed the way people looked at teenagers it changed the way people mm-hmm. thought about like rebellion of teenagers amongst the family it changed mm-hmm. uh just all kinds of cultural things and uh it was a huge the the biggest development i think in the positive from a cultural like sociological aspect was a ton of middle america that had never dealt with the negro population in any way shape or form was given something other than the the absolute crazy racist friends of theirs to go oh these mm-hmm. cats are cool <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> as white as dumb as that sounds that's basically what happened i i think that there is uh, almost no uh, musician on the planet and he got most of his stuff from other black musicians but i think there there is very few uh you know people mentioned the Beatles, they mentioned Elvis, they mentioned a bunch of these people, and yes, they brought that to a broader chunk of America. But I believe that the biggest transition of power in this regard was from Chuck Berry to the Beach Boys. Because the Beach Boys, guitar-wise, they ripped off everything from Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry was an innovator, but he took a lot of his rhythm from jazz musicians Mm -hmm. and infused the rock and roll which was just beginning Mm -hmm. to start in both black and white circles so i I, yeah i think yeah Mm -hmm. i'd love to get uh especially brendan's thoughts on this but was this project the, the shift that you're talking about that happened in the 1950s did it start in the 20s during prohibition uh i'm not I'm not entirely familiar with Prohibition, but uh, I've studied it a little bit, and the one thing that I continually refer back to is, are you familiar with Oversimplified's videos on YouTube? Uh, I think so, but it's been a while. He does Oversimplified History, 
they're really fun they're fantastic everybody should go look them up um but he did one on prohibition and one of the effects that he talked about after prohibition had ended was that with the speakeasies and the you know private bars where everybody was breaking the law it kind of did away with a lot of the norms that had been established around alcohol uh, so men didn't drink with women and then in speakeasies they did and blacks didn't drink with whites but in speakeasies they did because everybody's breaking the law anyway why would you care about propriety right. at that point in time right and that that was kind of the beginning of a shift of racial relationships that was the beginning relationships. of jazz uh, in the twenties, right? That and was, the beginning of jazz. That, yeah. that that jazz, rock and roll's roots are jazz and blues. That's mm -hmm. that's really what they are. Um, blues was particularly more southern sort of situation. Jazz was northern and west coast, but there was influence all around. And there were blues mm -hmm. musicians in the north and the west, and there were uh, uh, jazz musicians in the south. But like um, the 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 main difference being jazz was about adding things where they didn't belong but making them fit mm -hmm. where, where and 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 using more upbeat strange rhythms things that weren't common whereas the whole point of blues was to put your entire heart and soul into every single note and make every single note count so they're mm -hmm. almost diametrically opposed which mm. is really interesting, but rock and roll actually brought those two aesthetics together. Right. And so mm. I'm of the opinion that that fusion might not have happened without the speakeasies, but the very earliest rock and roll kind of stuff was a combination of that plus broken electric instruments. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. Um, the first what's considered to be distorted electric guitar rock and roll song. I forget the name of it right off the top of my head, but I can find it and link it maybe if I remember. Our general did remember to link it, so to speak. Well, you can look it up on your own. Uh, it's called Rocket 88 by Ike Turner and Jackie Brinston. Look it up on your own time. It's quite the listen. Um was literally because the guy's amp broke and fell off their car, the band's car going down the road. And they went into the recording studio with a broken amp and just said, let's do it anyway. It sounds fine. It's, it's good enough. Let's just do it anyway. And Interesting. that aesthetic caught on. Cause people were like, how can we make it sound like that? Right. Mm -hmm. And they ended up modding amps and changing things up and whatever else. Just one moment. Casey's wanting to talk to me. <laughs> I figured it was. Yes. All paid off. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So we finally got our car repair paid off. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> um, Round of applause. Round of applause. Very much. Very much. Anyway, I don't mean to leave you out of this, Brendan, or I don't know how much you know, or if you think I'm just full of it as far as my my takes on all this go, or wh however you are with it. But if you have anything you want to add on the topic or tell me where you're at with all this, let me know. I mean, I like 1940s music thanks to, ironically, Bendy and the Ink Machine because da mm, yeah. games is a youtube channel that did songs for the video game 
that included that style and genre. Okay. So I like some of like that sort of genre, but you're talking about things that I'm that are way out of my depth. I'm just sort of confused how we got here from time periods being romanticized. 1950s are heavily because... romanticized. I maybe speaking uh, in my own conservative, like very conservative political sphere on the internet. Very romanticized. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair. Um, I'm thinking. So, when I hear the romanticization of a time period, mm-hmm. I thought, and you mentioned pirates, westerns, things like that. Nice, in yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of jumped to that. I wasn't jumping to music. Sure. You mentioning music sort of made me sort of look some stuff up. And there are a couple things I didn't know. For example, did you know that uh, Alexander Dumas was born before Beethoven died? Nice. I did I believe I did I, know that. I didn't. I don't know who was alive when. It was a thing. <laughs> but one of the things that I thought I was thinking about, because you're talking about like relatively recent history about romanticization, Back as far as, uh, I believe it's the 1500s or the 15th century, one of those two, I keep getting them confused with, um, Sir Thomas Mallory wrote Le Mort d'Arthur, which was the death of Arthur, for those of you who don't speak French. Well, if you don't speak French, you can't come. If you understand Barbara Manatee, you'll get that joke. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Um, one of the things that was interesting, and it might be a little anachronistic, but one of the things that I, I was sort of doing as I was during one of my huge Arthur phases, I saw something somewhere that part of the um, appeal of Arthur, why it was so popular at the time it was so popular, was the concept of courtly love. And, um, you know, we're talking 1500s here, like, yeah, knight, you know, knights are in the past at this point. They mm-hmm. are. But that idea of this love that is forbidden because I can't marry you because you are married to someone else, but we still love each other. That's still <laughs> a very powerful thing. So they, they, it wasn't so much that the time period was being romanticized. Rather, the time period was a vehicle through which to um, bear this theme. Right. Yeah. Right? And so when we hear about time periods being romanticized, I'm not saying that we don't, right? But this is the worldview apologist coming out of in me. I think it's less that things are being romanticized for the time period itself. It's like, oh, this is such a great time. And more so that there is a value that we attach to that time period mm-hmm. that we love. Yeah. And we express it in form of a romanticization of that particular time period. Right. So you talk about conservative circles, 1950s, like what was the theme of the conservative political movement during that time? You know, you take that idea and you can, Mm. and you can slot that idea into a different time period. I can guarantee Mm. you. You can find it and put it somewhere else. But we as a culture have created such a mm. caricature that that time period represents that theme 
that we get latched onto that. Um, the other thing, though, that we need to be careful about, um, and this is sort of the other side of that, is that when we do that, we have a ten, um, or no, that's not true. Back up. Oftentimes, when we create pieces that are set in the past, we are talking about the present. The mm -hmm. biggest example of this is an Errol Flynn movie called The Privateer, I think. I think that's what it's called. I can't remember. Anyway, um, older movie that takes place. It's about uh, Errol Flynn's character is a privateer working for the um, English, um, the, the Queen of England. The Seahawk. During Seahawk, that's it called. Seahawk. During the Spanish and English War. The movie was being produced around 1940, and it was definitely not talking about the Spanish-English War. It was talking about World War II. And mm -hmm. if you watch the movie, knowing that, it's so freaking obvious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get things like that. People, You also get moments where like people are talking anachronistically in a different time period, and blah, 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 blah. Basically, it's just... I guess my the like the two things I would point out are one a time period isn't always a time period mm -hmm. uh, when we romanticize something and then two even if a time period is a time period sometimes the time period is not the time period that we think it is mm -hmm. right um, yeah so that's with, entirely fair yeah yeah I I agree wholeheartedly I I guess why. You know, I think I think the thing that that's individual to the romanticization thing that we're talking about um, for word. each time period, right? But that's all, folks. Um, the uh, the way it gets romanticized is slightly different for each one. Um, I think that usually there's a a keystone story or two that usually link to a specific theme, like you're saying. Um, I think that the reason that the 1950s have been uh, romanticized is because of probably, I would put two shows, two main shows, as at least in my neck of the woods, as as the, the two main stories that everyone latches onto the 50s with, and that's Leave It to Beaver and The Andy Griffith Show. Um, I think everyone kind of has this, you know, mon pop, small town America vibe sort of thing from those shows. And it's something that people miss and want. That's the other thing is nostalgia. I think people still feel yeah. nostalgia for ages that they have no connection, direct connection to such as <clears throat> people who wish that they could be chivalric knights in modern day. Guys who wish that they could mm -hmm. be chivalric knights. Uh, women who wish that they could be great objects of beauty and wisdom, such as in the the, the, the Middle Ages, right? Um, <clears throat> mm -hmm. And you feel born out of place and the whole anachronistic thing, which is crazy and silly for lots of reasons as a Calvinist, but we'll, we don't have to go mm -hmm. fully deeply into that there. Um, we can if we want to, but my point is that, like, <clears throat> I agree with Brendan. I'd like to get a little bit of a kind of nailed down a little further on some of the ones that we threw out at the beginning, uh, pirates, knights, you know, whatever we can think of and how, 
well, I'd love to touch on how accurate some of them are and some how not accurate other ones are, but how did the character did the caricature still do it justice somehow? Like with knights and the medieval period, I think it's unbelievably historically inaccurate and has spawned all kinds of even further caricatures like uh, uh, fantasy, etc. Um, but medieval fantasy and that sort of a thing. But like as a result, it's almost I, I think that's an incredibly accurate caricature as opposed to like the 1950s caricature. It depends on depends on which caricature you're speaking of. Right. Because okay. as far as medieval goes, go, I'll, I'll let the medievalist go. Well, hold on. Uh, uh, before the medievalist, I was when I when I said anachronistic, I was, the example I was specifically thinking of was Wonder Woman. Set in the nineteen fifties, forties, something like that. Nineteen fifties or World uh, War Two, nineteen forties. Well, no, it's no, it's World War One. Okay, World War One, isn't it? Yeah, the original, yeah. the, the first Wonder Woman. Yeah, nineteen twenties. Uh, Wonder Woman asks the main male lead what marriage is, and he gives 1941. An oh, what do you know? It is 1941. Yep. Huh. Oh, odd. They're using first appearance 1941 All Star Comics number eight. Anyway, no, he's talking <laughs> no, about no, the movie. 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 He's talking about the movie. The the movie is set movie. in like 1917. The end. The end of uh, oh, the end of World I War One. So yeah, anyway, go ahead. It's well, not bad. Anyway, in 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 that movie, at one point, Wonder Woman is talking to Chris Pine's character, whose name I can't remember because he's Chris Pine's character. He doesn't serve a purpose other than being female eye candy. Um, <laughs> not he, unless he's um, singing agony. She, anyway, yeah, that too. <laughs> um, and I and she asks him what is marriage, and he goes, "An unfortunate." He he says something very negative about marriage. This is the nineteen seven like nineteen twenties at most. There mm. is no way a person in the nineteen twenties would have that low a view of marriage. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean by anachronistic. You're taking mm. the modern view of marriage and putting it in the wrong time frame. I don't necessarily mean right. something else. Now Middle Ages, yes, horribly inaccurate. I'm not sure if that spawns fantasy. I feel like fantasy is less a less an offshoot of that, if that's what you're thinking, and more of a reaction against it. But um, or a okay, well, if this is it, I'm going to make my own thing. That's not like that. But you can tell the medieval music movies are are inaccurate just by their color palette. Mm-hmm. Everything is brown. Yep. Everything is dirty. Everything is overcast and gray. I'm sorry. No. We know mm -hmm. how many people died doing laundry because the medievals kept very meticulous records. We know how many people died doing laundry. It wasn't because they were incompetent. It was because they were doing laundry a whole lot. Mm -hmm. They were clean and they were colorful because, gosh darn it, clothing is ex well, maybe not expensive, but clothing is difficult important. to produce. It's difficult to produce, so you're going to make something that is colorful because, well, one, if you have wealth, more color the better. But two, um, also, this is how you declare allegiance. I'm sorry if I'm on the battlefield and I'm wearing orange and blue. I know not to look for the red and black guy for help. I want to find my fellow orange and blue people. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Absolutely. Yeah. The the, the 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 like this is mostly an aesthetic thing. My ramble, right? My rant and dad's rant, really. It's dad's rant. I'm just I'm just co-opting it for now. Um, but aesthetics but, are um, important. But aesthetics are incredibly important because without with 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 with, I wonder if more movies were aesthetically accurate if Game of Thrones would have been written at all. That's a great line. Yeah. Clip it. Clip it. <laughs> yeah. Include me yelling, clip it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Hurry, clip it. And we'll be right back for more Poets at War. Attention all Christian writers and creative peoples. Are you searching for a place to share your work and receive encouragement from fellow wordsmiths? Look no further than the Broodcast. Inspired by the legendary Inklings of old, a group of writers who banded together during the Second Great War, the Broodcast is your monthly gathering for inspiration, fellowship, and critique. Join us as we share our stories and support our fellow soldiers on our creative missions. Enlist in the Broodcast community today at joshuadavidling.com slash brood. Travel cyberspace. Serve the greatest cause. Join the ranks of the Brood today. Imagine if you had everything Tolkien ever wrote. Well, you can't have his, but you can have mine. The Ling Lyricanium is $10 a month, and you can find it at joshuadavidling.com slash LL. That's joshuadavidling.com slash LL. I'm Ian Wilson, and I create graphic art using primarily traditional methods, supplementing with digital where it's needed. I use a real pen, a real paper, a real graphite to make my art. I like to feel my art. I've always been this way. I love the feeling of a pen or pencil in my hand, the sound of graphite scratching paper, and I love the sight of a nice black line making its way across the page. So why choose traditional art over digital? Traditional art has an organic, natural quality that seems to be missing from most digital illustrations. The illustrated books and comics that were made in the days before digital have an excellence and staying power that is just as vibrant now as it was decades ago. These are the stories that stay with you. Dr. Seuss, Winnie the Pooh, Where the Wild Things Are. People still read these. I'm currently working on my own graphic novel series, Legend of the Swordbearer, and I've also had the privilege to draw graphics for two motion comic series, along with illustrations for a small magazine, Logosophia magazine, and various book covers. Don't let traditional art fade into the dust. Help me keep it alive. You won't regret it. Visit my website at iantomaswilson.com for more info. We now return to Poets at War. That, that's absolutely that's absolutely correct though because he's working with he's working with caricatures of caricatures of caricatures that are so far away from accurate to any time period at all that they bear no resemblance to reality but because we're all nihilists now uh it resonates really deeply with people because they're like oh yes that's exactly how real life was back then and that is why a a genre that is popular reflects more about what the current people value rather than yep what it is 
Um, yeah, I would. I did a quick look up of pirates, not mm -hmm. to pivot away from medieval, but I wanted to. I wanted to jump the gun on this because pirates is the most obvious. What is the most pirate? What's the most popular pirate movie? Pirates, pirates of, the of the Caribbean. Caribbean. Yeah, came out in two thousand three. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That's two years after two thousand one. September eleventh, two thousand one. Now, movies take a while to make, but not all of them take like two years. Like The Lord of the Rings is a special case. But uh, um, that's look because Lord of the Rings is a special case in literally every subject. There's a reason it got 13 yes. Oscars. But um, I wonder if the Pirates movies became so popular as a pushback against authority. I want like the romanticization of I sail the seas, I am free, I do what I will, and I do not, and I am not beholden to a system, except possibly a system that I chose to be a part of. But even that system, I can abandon at any moment in time. Basically, they're congregationalists. Sorry, was that my outside voice? Um, <laughs> no. But um, but the idea that, like, that's what I think of when I hear, like, the Pirates movie. And don't get me started about how people write revisionist history after these, but whatever. Um, yeah, and you're absolutely... This goes back to what you said uh, after we did our tangent on music, which is that nostalgia or the romanticized time periods are basically able to be boiled down to a concept so what is the concept that they find appealing here what is the concept that they find appealing here and then they just use the well i say they we uh just use the time period as a vehicle for that concept and you're saying the same thing except for con uh, with this except for consciously is that right you're saying that they're consciously using the trappings of a different period to get their message through on i'm not sure it's conscious in this i'm not necessarily sure it's conscious i think the reason pirates resonated so much was because there was this cultural dissatisfaction with the war in iraq um with how little we got done over the amount of time we were there and so mm -hmm. that's how they became popular and then the writers took that success and they kept writing in this in a similar vein um mm -hmm. i don't think they were doing i don't necessarily think they were going oh i'm going to write a movie that's going to upset the system or that's going to have themes about upsetting the system i think i honestly think they were trying to write a good story i don't think they succeeded with pirates too but that's a different argument altogether um, they wrote a fun story though you can't deny that yeah i can't think of a single character in pirates 2 that i like um Okay, but Davy Jones, Davy Jones standing in a bucket, without footsteps that's leading three. up to the bucket. That's that's Pirates Three, not Pirates Two. Oh, that's Three. Fair enough. Yeah, Two is better three than people is, give it credit for. Yeah, three for, is better than Two because they could only go up. It had what? It, well, it has way more gravitas and less slapstick. Mm -hmm. um, but and it ends in a marriage, which right. I'm a sucker for. Yeah. So. Um, also, I just had to point out that uh, this isn't just concept 
what, what were you saying, Alex? Concept, uh, like they were doing this purposefully or not kind of thought process. Intentionally. Uh, right. inten- intentionally using the time period as a vehicle for the concept right. that they were trying to say. I think some people do that. I because see- they saw images of it there. Right. I think some people do that. I think some people uh, don't do that. Uh, it just depends. But, you know, we have, we've had the AI conversation many times. And one of the things people are so innately disgusted by is the idea that you can you know have something generate something 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 and it gets further and further away from the thing that it originally was based on um we do that too not just the machines exhibit a Mm -hmm. exhibit a pastafarianism the flying spaghetti monster came out in 2005 that started that whole movement started in 2005 on the heels of what pirates of the caribbean (laughs) i just wanted to point that out (laughs) so we do we do the war in iraq as pirates and then we get flying spaghetti monster (laughs) just just saying like (laughs) this this happens you know it was it's it's the culture of no that's that's when the fight the system Mm mm-hmm began became popular and i'm and yeah i'm kind of leaning on pirates being fight the system i'm not i'm really not married to that idea but it's the closest thing mm-hmm. i can think of for why that genre would be so popular but they're even my comment about rewriting history right jack sparrow mm-hmm. in the second pirates movie when bennett is talking with him he says something like you had a simple job bring the cargo to the location and jack says people aren't cargo mate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the reason jack became a pirate canonically is mm-hmm. because he didn't ship slaves or ship yeah. people right so we're talking like we're taking even the people who like because pirates i'm sorry they weren't necessarily good guys and, you know, you mm-hmm. have all these people talking about, oh, well, pirates actually had democracy. They voted for who their captain was and blah, blah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting here going, citation needed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, even even if that's true, there's not a guarantee that they wouldn't trade slaves. Well, you know? Historical accuracy so of, of pir- privateers in general is a little... little uh, sus no matter where you go with it whether you're saying they were all bad guys or all good guys because quite frankly um there were some military victories won by privateers that would have never been able to be won by many other people now regardless of whether or not you agree with that country's politics or not is a whole other thing right and then there's the independent private uh, independent privateers who did things for themselves that i don't necessarily think were wrong in doing it for themselves you know depending on the situation because they were a country unto themselves at that point um, there, yeah, there, you know, yes. it, it, it is more complicated, but the universal lumping of it, it's it's back to what we have talked about in the past, where if a. If the only example of something that you see is either positive or negative, it's making a statement about that thing in the medium itself. Right. Yep. yep. I'm not saying whether or not. The privateers were right or wrong in every right. instance. That's not what my goal is. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. they are making the pirates look like good guys. Right. 
in mm-hmm. pirates movies. Right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And see, they started with one, mm-hmm. and then they made more to join him because you need an ensemble cast in this kind of situation. You need some some protagonists, but then it becomes the whole entire pirate world <laughs> versus like, <laughs> and it got a little little versus silly. The system, right? Yeah, versus the system exactly. So it mm-hmm. got a little silly, but you know they were yeah. like you said they were trying to prove their point, and everyone's trying to prove their point as a storyteller. That's something that we do, but some do it well, and some try to do it subtly out of the leaf mold of their mind. Um, mm-hmm. and it just depends on how good you are as an artist as to how well you can do that. Um, but I think, you know, why did Pirates of the Caribbean become Pirates of the Caribbean? <clears throat> because everyone else is kind of feeling it too, in one sense or another, I'd say, regardless of whether mm-hmm. you're conservative or not, you know, conservative liberal doesn't really matter. There was, was yeah. there, there was some shenanigans going on at high levels and everyone felt like they yeah. were, well, who, who, do, who do we trust? Right? Like that's basically the whole thrust of pirates too. Who do we trust? That's the entire thrust of Pirates 2. Um, yeah, 2006. With, yeah. So, <clears throat> but the, you know, going back to, we talked that. What about Old West? What do we make of that? What do we make of, I think there's some obvious things, but I think there's some not so obvious things. And Old West isn't just cowboys and gunslingers although that's the first thing we usually think of Mm -hmm. it's also little house on the prairie it's the oregon trail it's you know all these sorts of things too the wilderness the wild wilderness so like the old west you mean ronin samurai movies no (laughs) well what yeah well how how do two that is one but but see most last samurai is western well i'm saying that even with that we've got two very different time periods yeah that people Mm -hmm. associate with each other for a lot of reasons a lot of reasons that people see parallels whether they're artists or not right and Mm -hmm. so i'd argue that one's declining and one's uh uh, ascending but you've still got similar stuff happening why is that what 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 are we latching on to with that what do you guys think i think they have an idea at least from a more male perspective as to why we seem to latch on to the old west and that is because uh this is from uh synthesizing a thought from the daily wire uh one of the daily wire backstage shows that that's their best show if anybody's a fan of the daily wire backstage is their best show um but boring said something along the lines of we look back to the wild west because that was the last time that men could be men for the good. That men were allowed to go out and take over and conquer for the good. That That's what I think, and that resonates with me. That saying, okay, well, let, there's a bunch of land over there. We should go take it over. We, we should go take it over and civilize it. Right. And then you have really interesting interplay of those concepts with the last two great Westerns of the man who shot Liberty Valance and High Noon, which are arguing polar opposite points right. inside of the same narrative. Is that the same reason we so like and associate people like uh, John McClane in the Die Hard movies with the Old West? 
even though he's a cop. The fact is, uh, the the dirty cops, we like those guys. <laughs> you know, the dirty mm-hmm. cop movies, the buddy cop movies where I lost my partner, got to do this off the books. <laughs> you know, that whole trope, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, which isn't a, a romanticization technically, but it's, it's it, or because it's not really tied to a specific time period other than the 20th century. Um, mm-hmm. But like, and it also happened in the what seventies, whenever Law and Order became a big thing that people. I think that's when it like, started to really. On. Yeah, I think that's when it really started to catch on. But even even before you had stuff like that in the Humphrey Bogart days, um, they did they did yeah, stories like that on occasion. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're right in that regard. I think there's also the the taming of Eden in general, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing is, yeah. is just a big theme, you know, with the pioneers and whatever else. But I think that how do we get from that, those big concepts to Woody's roundup? <laughs> so right? I, I kind of want to, well, I don't know Woody's roundup. Let me start off with that, but toy story going off the back. Oh, I'm springboarding off of the back of what Alexander was saying about the last time men can be men for the good. Right. I mm. uh, sent a meme to the host chat that I think summarizes yep. why the West is so what one of the core tenets of the West. Um, and I don't know if you're going to show it, Joshua, but it's, I am uh, the okay. Then all y'all can read it, but. Um, I won't have to do the crying Wojak voice, thankfully. Well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read it just for audio people. Oh, uh, oh okay. This guy goes, you're just trying to lift weights, read old books, buy land, raise a loving family, and ignore new, the news forever? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and Giga Chad so, with family and all that. Giga Chad yeah. with a family. And, and, and here's the thing, like... I don't know. Again, we're talking like, you, you know, I find it really interesting, Joshua, that you mentioned, yeah, we've got the gunslingers and the Western and the heists and the uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kids. And then you've got Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. Australia, which is a great two movies. Why didn't they make it two movies? Um, you've got, you know, Zorro. These. Zorro, yeah, I couldn't see. Well, Zorro's Old West, bro. It's literally California in the exact same time period, and it's the exact same story of a gunslinger desperado saving the day. It just, he just happens to be a little bit more Spanish and a little more superhero. <laughs> he, yeah, and he uses a sword. Okay, sure, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. I won't. I'm not gonna fight it. Um, but you know, you've got these right, and it's it's it's. With the Little House on the Prairie, you have the building of a family and making it's dominion. Mm-hmm. Yep. In a sense, it's the dominion mandate of go subdue the land and mm-hmm. the earth and fill it. And yep. with, um, and with Zorro, with the Westerns, you've got also a subdue the land, but in this mm-hmm. case, it's subdue evil. Right. Mm-hmm. and bring it to heal and so um 
it's yeah you get this interesting question of how do you go from how do you go from the the concept to like woody but i would argue that woody isn't he's a caricature but he's not Mm -hmm. a caricature of the west Mm -hmm. he's a caricature of he's a caricature of the old buzz lightyear represents new right and he is the old desperately trying to cling on mm-hmm. and get rid of the new he is the luddite he is the um he is the person who doesn't want the organ to be put into place because the hurdy-gurdy is superior he is the person who doesn't want electric guitars in church that's what woody is woody isn't the west right so, I mean, but that's just being weird. Anyway, um, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm saying, though, we can recognize the West in Woody through the aesthetics and through the time period that they set the character in in the TV show in Toy Story 2, right? Sure. Um, we can we can recognize all of that mm-hmm. while at the same time. Is it is it just we don't care any longer that the high concept of the West matters and then we put something else on it, like you said, the old? Um, it, but yet we still know it as the West, and I think it's more than just aesthetics. Like, you can't have the obsolete without it being... Uh, without the romanticization of the old West being an obsolete sort of man person, the idea of dominion being obsolete. Do you kind of see what I'm saying? It's not actually obsolete, but but the idea, but that's what people, but that's why people resonate with the last gunslinger, the last samurai, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the last, well, the last samurai is just a darn good movie, but, um, it is a good movie, but even if Tom Cruise is in it, but, um I mean I see kind of what you're saying except that I don't I don't think necessarily I think that the trappings of the west were a convenience um yeah. rather than a um rather than a statement about the west itself because mm-hmm. um you could have like i could easily easily in fact i'm sure it's been done see the same plot of toy story 2 but you swap out or the same dynamic of toy story 2 with with buzz lightyear and zorg whatever zerg zorg being zerg whatever being the other the other evil that is sort of the chaos that's causing that's in fighting the issue and instead of the west it's the church woody is a um woody is a priest the um the prospector who's ultimately the villain at the end of toy story 2 is a like is a cardinal or a pope or something like Mm -hmm. that and bishop. buzz is, bishop sure and buzz is a scientist friend of woody and they were pals together before mm-hmm. uh 
before Woody as a, as a church had to go to a gathering in a faraway place and the scientist figures out, wait a minute, this thing that the very premise that they're meeting on is wrong. I need to tell them. I need to help this. And turns out the Pope knew the whole time that the premise was wrong, but he was just using it to manipulate. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. The fact that it's a Western, they're saying, I don't think they're saying specifically in that instance that the Westerns are obsolete necessarily what they're saying there's there's just that woody happened to be a western character and so they're like well we can do more with this let's just throw in other characters we've got the female cowboy and the uh prospector and those are the two extra characters from that setting cool yay moving on i might be wrong i haven't seen toy story 2 in ages you should it's but... good it's really good <laughs> toy story 2 is fantastic yeah. it, for the longest time it was the highest rated movie on imdb uh, no, highest-rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes uh, until 2017 when Lady Bird beat it out. Um, but no, I was I was wanting to bring this up in our Star Wars episode, but I didn't get the chance to. Uh, Rollback. Star Wars was the end of westerns. Would we agree with that? That Star Wars marked a sea change in popular movies it, it was it was happening before but star wars was the big thing that shifted the popular movie from western to sci-fi i would argue that it was twofold you're talking the genre movie specifically but even there was a period mm -hmm. where even the regular everyday run-of-the-mill show um uh and and movie were western themed like everything yeah. was western themed and so i would argue Bonanza. for for the genre movie it became star wars for the regular mm -hmm. run of the mill movie the thing that changed it was rocky yeah so i i just want to make that mm -hmm. distinction cuz western covered everything for a while yeah it did but as far as as far as the Toy Story, I'm, I'm going to speak of Toy Story 1 instead mm -hmm. of Toy Story 2. Um, as far as that goes, is it working? In, I could just be high on something right now. But <laughs> is it possible that it's talking in some way, shape, or form about Star Wars? Because Star Wars was not yeah. the Arthur C. Clarke 2001 hard sci-fi stuff. Oh, it definitely Star is. Wars was fantasy star wars was westerns set in the trappings of that and is that kind of the same themes that toy story one is playing with where you have the western and the sci-fi learning to become friends and melding together into a single cohesive unit am i crazy no you're am not I hallucinating no that's absolutely if, the case if, if, if well i mean you might be crazy but this isn't a sign of it thank you um I just looked something up, um, a show criminally underrated, uh, in my opinion, uh, Sharp, starring Sean what? Bean, and he lives the whole time. Oh. I know, it's amazing. Uh, it's a, it is basically a Western, now that I'm thinking about it. It You're is Sharp? a British, S-H-A-R-P-E, S-H-A-R-P-E. Got it is a British television drama series starring Sean Bean as Richard Sharp, a fictional British soldier in the Napole Napoleonic Wars. He, um, 
it is British, so it may not actually be really Western, but given the color palette and the fact that they're firing guns a lot, it's got a Western. There are definitely mm. parallels for the Western thing. And yes, Sharp, I'm pretty mm. sure, was based on a book series, but... Still. I haven't read the book, can't comment on it. Um, Still, it's actually mm. really good. I would recommend. Um, There is... There is some, there is some, uh, uh, there is drama. There is content. There is, there is content Mm -hmm. that is dramatic and, um, both in the, oh my gosh, that's a good story. And in why is his wife cheating on him? But, um, (laughs) anyway. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think I didn't realize how ubiquitous Westerns were really um but again now we're talking about the question of how do you define a western because um is a western just the look of a western or is a western also or is a western the theme and the story of a western and that's sort of a joke i made at the beginning with uh do you mean ronin movies right right well (laughs) i mean you you can have a night (laughs) movie a, a medieval night movie set in the future like you can do that yeah um you can have a fantasy in space star wars you can have all kinds of these things in another place and setting but the thing that they get tied back to is a real actual period in history as caricatured as it possibly can be that's why i think that these things are so interesting because and this was the other thing i wanted to get into is why is it that what would you say about fourth century to, you know, uh, third, 12th, 13th century, right? Yeah, 1200s. Yeah. Uh, why, why is that period all lumped together for one? And then second, why is it that it stops there before we get a whole lot of extra artillery? I mean, we still have that whole period of the reformation. I almost never see any movies made during that period. You know, military-wise, that was not considered a romantic period of history in any way, shape, or form. It's 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 largely looked on as almost anti-romantic. Um, mm-hmm. There's other periods like that in history. Um, the Napoleonic Wars um, are looked at similarly. You can look at... Um, uh, uh, even though there are Vietnam movies, they are usually placed in a more anti-romantic manner. In the way that they're portrayed, mm-hmm. um, there are these periods of yeah. ingloriousness in history that that aren't looked upon as big bastions of amazingness. You know, we can look at even just recently, like I said, Vietnam, World War Two. Right? They are they are portrayed so unbelievably differently. I think that mm-hmm. there is difference to look at in both of those, but there's a lot of similarities too, because they're so close together in history. I think we forget sometimes that that's like what, 25, 30 years Mm. apart. Yeah. Right. Like there is a, there is a really significant chance that looking back at the 20th century from, you know, the 2800s, they'll just say, Oh yeah. From 1915 or 1913, whenever, uh, whenever world war one started, to 2038 right yeah that that was that was the world war right whenever 
everybody was at war with everybody all the time. Right. With a couple of 10-year respites in between. Right. And a whole lot of hedonistic craziness. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, so, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I'm saying why are some, some periods heralded and other periods not? I think there's a lot of reasons for different periods, but yeah, why are they derided? Well, not even derided, like Vietnam's derided, but Reformation, mm -hmm. when it comes to an artistic perspective, is just not touched on, like almost ever. It's not considered aesthetically pleasing to do anything in that category in that time period. There is no it, romanticization of it at really much at all. I'll let Brendan go. I'm not going to forget this. So. Well, I think you've got like three things going on here. Um, and two of them are connected. Uh, first of all, um, Vietnam and World War II. Mm-hmm are vilified because one i think it's relatively recent history um and because they were like you said they were so close together um post especially vietnam there was a huge anti-war push and so mm -hmm. you got the relative problem of recent history where now war war is bad war is not good war is not something to glorify you can glorify individual soldiers hacksaw right. ridge mm -hmm. as example right you know, yep. where they glorify that guy who frankly he deserves it um mm. but 1917 fictionalized but still sure. the same thing you can you can you can do things like that but if you're talking about the time period itself you can't glorify that because the narrative is so ugly by its very nature mm -hmm. that they are like, we don't want to touch this. You've got the Holocaust mm -hmm. in World War II. If you make a World War II movie and not touch any element of the Holocaust, you could be labeled as a Holocaust denier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that that's, you don't want to go there. You know. But people still and, and make Vietnam. Civil War movies, and even though it's considered yeah. sort, it's sort of in the derided vein. There is a romanticism all the same to that time yeah. period, right? Is but, it literally mm. just because the slaves were freed? I I don't because something that was accomplished. Might, that might be it, but honestly, I don't know that many Civil War movies. Gods and generals. <laughs> Gods and generals. Okay. Yeah. Gods and generals. Remember Gone with the, the wind? No, we're not doing that one. We're not Abraham doing... Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Or, Lincoln. 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 But that would follow along the same lines of Hacksaw Ridge. I would Abraham argue, Lincoln. Following a Hunter, character or whatever it's called. That is hilarious, <laughs> and we shall include it as canon in real life. <laughs> no, but okay. So that's one side. I think you've got mm. you've got the ugliness of the current recent events and the just negative milieu of that. But the other side is I think we just don't remember our history. Yeah, because I was going to say the century. Reformation, a lot was accomplished, whether or not you agree with it or not. It's not like the Catholics have a mm -hmm. giant hold all on I the entertainment industry, right? All I've got is Luther for Cromwell. the Reformation. Cromwell is a fantastic okay, movie. Um, um, that's about it. But like, but here's the thing: we're talking about fourth century. I was just sort of Lady Jane real quick. Gray. 80, it's okay. <laughs> Eighty-three oh one. The only movie I can think of. That is that takes place during the like 
historically that was made, and I'm not talking about the recent Rome show, right? Was Spartacus yeah. with Stanley Kubrick, and mm -hmm. yeah, Spartacus was okay. But Spartacus was so – I'm sorry. Maybe it's this – like I'm sure it was great at the time it came out, but looking back on it now, it's so kind of bland plot-wise. Yeah. It's just like, eh, okay, 300. this happened. <laughs> 300. But that's the thing. That's 300 is BC. If, if you're going to – if you are going to do a movie about a historical time frame or a historical moment, it has to be hyper-stylized. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's so, what's so interesting. Anyway, Alexander, you had something you wanted to say way back when, and you said you wouldn't forget it. Yeah, uh, as far as Reformation goes, I agree. I can't think of any movies uh, that take place in there. You have Luther, you have Cromwell. And Lady, um, Jane, and Grey, Lady Jane Grey, which is decent. It has some nude scenes with Helena Bonham Carter, so I can't fully re recommend it. But like the actual, like you take that out, which is there's no point mm -hmm. to it anyway. Like it's it's mm -hmm. it's a generally good portrayal of Lady Jane Grey. So, you know, anyway, okay. but yeah, go ahead. Um, But recently, very recently, like last year, uh, there was a video game that came out that takes place during the Reformation by, in my opinion, the best game studio working today, Obsidian, uh, called Pentiment. Hmm. It is extremely interesting. It is a very deep RPG. It's very short. It's double A, but double A, not triple A, but it's really, really good, and it actually deals with the themes of the Reformation as it affects one specific town. Hmm. And the entire game takes place over 30 years. Where where geographically is this town, may I ask? Uh, Germany. Which part of it Germany? It is in the countryside of Germany. Uh, Northern Germany? So, like, Bavaria. I find the town. Yes. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Anyway, go but ahead. It's uh, very Brent. good. Yeah, Brendan? So, so kind of going back to what i was saying earlier we don't know our history i hate to be well i don't hate to do this because joshua you do it all the time the church always leads the charge with any cultural thing either positive or negative mm -hmm. yep. and i'm sorry who are the desert fathers and why should i care bingo we don't know we we for from for my understanding of church history is jesus dies raised from the dead acts through timothy <laughs> and then the reformation right yep oh there's persecution in rome for a bit and then the mm. reformation and you might yep. if you have a really good church get some athanasius and some augustine you know Augustine, some things of that um, nature aquinas you know, maybe polycarp's a, a little bit of polycarp's story you know stuff like that a couple yeah a couple names here and there right. but who are the desert fathers and why should i care but here's the thing mm. like there was there's a guy on video who did like tiktok youtube something youtube shorts he does he wears a roman helmet and he talks like this and he always starts when this guy. thing yeah he, he does something about moses the ethiopian mm -hmm. and i'm sitting here going i'm sorry he became he was moses the ethiopian and he's uh, he the guy calls him a desert father i don't know if that's technically accurate but whatever even if he is i want a movie about this guy's story i'm sorry well, that's cool not not to mention there has been one Count them one Hollywood movie with John Knox in it, and he's a villain. 
Yeah. What movie? I don't remember the name of it. It was done in like the 50s or 40s or something like that. I'd but, have to look it up and find it. But, but there's been like the one with John Knox. And John Knox had one of the most action-packed, awesome lives. It would put William Wallace's actual historical life to shame. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that's the thing. The church is the villain in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I would argue because the church doesn't know its own bloody history. And the church didn't take care yeah. of Hollywood. And the church didn't yeah, I was going to say, and, and the church screwed up Hollywood or screwed up Hollywood by leaving it. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, if you have a people who know their history, you can't go woke on them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Because if you do, you alienate them. Mm -hmm. Sorry, yep. I've been editing scott klusendorf videos and so dude you nailed he's been it talking about wokeism it's, it's okay so. you you nailed the point home and i definitely want to continue the conversation mm -hmm. but this is the best point that i think we can probably have to end it so i'm gonna say learn your history be your family's bard do not turn to the right or to the left and the lord will be with you wherever you go We'll see you next time. Next week, we're going to be talking uh, uh, Maid Marian from Robin Hood and the general Robin Hood story. Uh, we'll see you next time in the trenches on Poets at War. history will turn up then too because oh i have opinions on robin hood <laughs>